Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. If you feel like Amazon runs the world, you're not alone. And if you're wondering how exactly they do it, today you're going to learn as we pull back the curtain with a guest who knows more about e-commerce than anyone I know. Yoni Mazur is the chief growth officer and co-founder of Gatita. Gatita, which stands for Get Intelligent Data Analytics, tracks and audits billions of dollars of Amazon transactions daily. With cloud-based technology, Yoni's company provides state-of-the-art reimbursement recovery solutions for Amazon sellers. Before founding Gatita, Yoni sold fashion apparel through Amazon's FBA service, or Fulfilled by Amazon service, to the tune of $20 million annually. He eventually merged with another company and began transacting over $100 million a year of apparel sales. We discuss everything from how Amazon really makes money, and lots of it, what happens to all of your data on Amazon, and how inflation and supply chain issues are impacting the economy today and in years to come. So without further ado, here's Yoni Mazur. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Yoni, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, certainly. So just, I I know that was quite a cool introduction there on this company that sounds very high tech, very new age. Can you tell us a little bit of what intelligent data analytics means for the layperson? Uh, Yeah, so we're in the world of e-commerce. So that's the universe that we live in. And uh, it's all data driven. Uh, All the Traffic that comes in and out of a web page, for example, um, is all recorded. It's all documented, right? And that is the premise and foundations of, of the internet and, and every single page that's there. If I can uh, parallel it to uh, the world of, um, of uh, uh, brick and mortar, right? Uh, the physical world, it's imagine that every store or office or building or you know, real estate uh, uh, component uh, is able to record and document every, every person that came into uh, or, you know, uh, the building, right? So in the, with that premise, that's the kind of the universe of e-commerce and, and internet where we live. And of course, we, our focus is uh, in the world of uh, internet and e-commerce, uh, the world of, of Amazon. And I'm sure nobody needs an introduction to Amazon. Everybody, I guess yeah. at this point, is addicted to the game and we all consume and shop there. So um, the company that we created helps uh, third-party Amazon sellers um, with auditing, with um, uh, intelligent data analytics, because there's a lot of data that's going on with, within what's, what's happening with the account, what's happening with all the transactions. So our technology is able to basically find mistakes and problems uh, that happen, and then uh, we have a dedicated team of uh, uh, that helps uh, you know solve those issues. Uh, and that's that's a very you know for layman term, just to simplify, uh, well you know the world that we live in is our data and technology and you know finds a problem, and then we kind of uh, you know create the solution and solve the issue. Uh, but it's all digital, and it's all based on data analytics. Got it. And now when you talk about like discrepancies with Amazon and with an Amazon seller, are you talking about like money didn't reach their accounts or a discrepancy as far as what a particular uh, customer is or what they look like or like the actual data of that buyer? You got it. So the the world or niche we live in is uh, within Amazon is uh, as follows. So when you sell on Amazon, right, you let's say you're you're, you're a college student and you want to make some money on the side. So you can start selling stuff on Amazon. You can sell your textbooks or you go to 
uh, on a, a Walgreens and find something on discount that's been sold for five bucks. Maybe it's been sold on Amazon for $20, stuff like that. In any case, I'm just giving an example, uh, but there's a millions of, of, of such sellers. So um, once you decide selling on Amazon, you have uh, logistically, you have two options. Either you, um, you hold and store all your products in your own uh, garage or warehouse or wherever it is. And as the orders come in from the marketplace, you take your, your product, you put them in the boxes, you put a label on them, and then you ship them to the customers. That's the first option. With this kind of option, we can't do much for you. We can't really help you. But there's a second option. The second, the second option, uh, option is called FBA, Fulfilled by Amazon. In other words, uh, what you can do is instead of having your own warehouse or putting your product in your own like garage or something like that, you can just ship it to Amazon, to their fulfillment centers, and they will store your inventory and your products and then as the orders come in from the marketplace, they're going to fulfill it. They're going to you know, take those uh, units from the bins. They're going to package it in a box. They're going to ship it out to the consumers. And that's the FBA option, fulfillment by Amazon option. And that is why Amazon is able to provide consumers you know, out there with really fast shipping. You know, one day or two day prime shipping, uh, it's, it's usually possible because all these sellers behind the scenes are using Amazon's fulfillment centers and shipping hundreds of billions of dollars worth of uh, products and inventory uh, every year to the fulfillment center so they have a nice spread and then they can, they can really ship it out um, quickly to consumers. So this is the niche that we can help you with and how do we help? So let's say you, um, you shipped a thousand units from your products to Amazon's fulfillment center, right? And Amazon, instead of receiving 1000 units, they only receive, let's say 990. So 10 units are missing. So that's where our technology with the, the analytics, the data analytics, we're able to find that discrepancy, right? The missing 10 units. And then once we find it and the information goes to our team, we're going to reach out to Amazon and say, hey, look, this shipment uh, was supposed to have, you know, a thousand units, but only, you only received 990 units. Where are the missing 10 units? And if Amazon finds the missing 10 units, that's great. We solve the problem. Now the seller uh, can sell it, make the money, and it's all good. And if they don't find the missing 10 units and it's eligible for reimbursement, what happens is, is Amazon will provide, uh, you know, a refund or a reimbursement, uh, which is a financial recovery. So let's say the missing 10 units are worth $10 each. They're going to give the seller $100. And that is how also we're able to financially solve uh, this discrepancy. So it's a niche within a niche within a niche, but that's kind of the, the, the focus that we have. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really helpful for, for many, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and, and businesses out there. That's interesting. And now, like, it's funny because you see these gigantic Amazon warehouses that kind of pop up around the country. And I was always under the impression that that was like Amazon territory, Amazon basics, Amazon goods. So those warehouses, they're actually having their own Amazon proprietary product, but also every other third party out there that's selling through Amazon. A hundred percent correct. So yeah, so that's what's happening in the in the background. So most people, uh, the regular consumers, they're not even aware of what's going on. Today, I would safely say that maybe sixty percent or maybe seventy percent of all the products that are being sold on Amazon are not uh, being sold by Amazon. They're, they're, they're being sold by third-party Amazon sellers, which is people like you and me. Anybody can really uh, uh, start selling on Amazon. You can sell, you can sell Nike uh, or, or, you know, you can, in other words, you can re resell products that you find in a store or you can make your own product. You can go and say, hey, I want to create uh, my Brian Coderna uh, shoe brand. And then, you know, you, you find a factory, you create uh, your shoes and you list it on Amazon and you sell it. So that is kind of the, the typical oh. profile of the sellers that are there. That is why it's so robust. It's such a huge selection because there's, there's <clears throat> I think worldwide, there's about 6 million uh, third-party Amazon sellers. Excuse me one second. 
And then um, in the United States, there's about 2 million uh, Amazon third-party sellers. So these 2 million sellers are 2 million entrepreneurs out there that are hustling and bustling and, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, using their creative minds and, and, and entrepreneurial spirit to, to, you know, push and, and provide uh, products and inventory into the marketplace. And that is what consumers are enjoying. Um, yeah. Amazon will not have this ability to have so much inventory on its own. It just, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really big uh, feat to be able to, to have such a, a wide selection so quickly. So yeah, it's about 60, 40 or 70, 30 uh, in favor of uh, the, the, the entrepreneurs out there 20 years ago plus, or 20 plus years ago when Amazon started, it was strictly Amazon. That's what, you know, it was selling the books and CDs and stuff like that. That's the early beginning. Yeah. And over the years they uh, opened it up for third party uh, Amazon sellers and the momentum yeah. just kept growing and growing and growing. And today they really dominate uh, the, the landscape and Amazon, I think, uh, rightfully so. They they figure, hey, these these millions of entrepreneurs, they're amazing. They're creating brand new products that have never been sold anywhere in the universe before, which is really cool. It's, it's times of innovation. You can have a patent on your products, whatever, and touch the consumers right away, right? Imagine that. Yeah. Amazon has hundreds of millions of consumers. You don't have to, like if, before Amazon, right? You had to, if you wanted to sell your products, you have to go to Costco, Walmart, Target, and, and go through the buyers, the gatekeepers. Today, you don't have that. You can just create a product, you list it on Amazon, you drive traffic, the right traffic into your listing, and that's it. You hit the consumers, Amazon consumers, and guess what? Their credit card is already on, on, on the platform, right, on their Amazon account. And if they like your product and they like what they see and they, they like their reviews and whatever, add the card, buy it, they're done. There's no gatekeepers. It's you in front yeah. of the consumers. I mean, the gatekeeper is Amazon. They'll make sure that everything's authentic, everything's good to go, that you really have the inventory, and they got, the consumers are going to get the product on time because guess what? Amazon holds the inventory because the, the, the third-party Amazon seller – actually ship the products to Amazon and Amazon holds it with its own hands. So that's kind yeah. of the partnership level that uh, the entrepreneurs and the third party sellers have with Amazon, which makes it a really powerful combination. And th that's interesting. And just to kind of sidestep for a second, because a question I've gotten a number of times is kind of like, how does Amazon make money? Where are their profit centers? And one of the questions that was posed to me on this show, actually a few weeks ago, um, one of our guests said, you know, if you look at Amazon, you can go buy, a, hypothetically, a jar of olives for $2.80 that you have somebody that is, you know, producing, for lack of a better term, that jar of olives, getting it to Amazon. And then Amazon is getting that to you possibly the next day at your doorstep. And it's like where that costs money to get it from the, the producer to Amazon and then Amazon to the shipping person to my doorstep. And we did that all for a couple dollars without a shipping charge aside from my little prime membership I pay every year. So when you look at a scenario like that, it's like, how do they make money in a little kind of microcosm like that? Yeah, I love that question, by the way. So this is a perfect question that touches the, the fundamentals of uh, you know, uh, the scale economy. So let me unpackage this. It's a pretty loaded question, even though it seems very innocent, right? <laughs> so uh, in this specific case, uh, on the you know unit economics, it could be that they're really losing money. They might be even losing. They sell it for two eighty, and they might be losing two eighty or a dollar, you know, a penny for penny. Uh, that's one thing to consider. Uh, and it could be that also this is a loss leader, meaning you know how you uh, go to the supermarket and you have to go all the way to the back to buy your eggs and. Um, and yeah. uh, milk, and the milk is really uh, an amazing offer. It's only 99 cents instead of being 2.99 or something like that. Uh, so the supermarket is taking a heavy hit, uh, or they're losing money uh, when you buy every time you buy this uh, box of milk. So, but the reason is uh, that they're okay uh, losing this money, or um, 
Uh, and it's because you're going to go all the way to the back of the supermarket. And guess what? You're going to pick another product that you're going to pick uh, potato chips or a snicker bar or whatever it is. And that's how they're going to make their margins. They're going to make their profit on you. And because the overwhelming majority of the, the, the people who come into the supermarket and walk all the way to the bar, back to, to buy that milk for a heavy discount, which they lose money on, they just pick up other stuff in between. Same thing with kind of Amazon, just on the digital space, that 280 that you bought. A good chance you're going to browse around Amazon. You're going to see all these other products and say, hmm, this is cool. So you might buy it on the spot or you're going to save it for later and later on you're going to buy it. In other words, you want to keep the traffic in the system. So they're okay with you losing money on that uh, uh, jar of olives uh, uh, because you'll feel like Amazon is a really good uh, environment and place for you to shop and uh, shop online. And you have a lot of trust with it and, uh, and, and they're going to make the money uh, on the next product that you're going to buy. That's one consideration. Uh, but even if you never will, and then you're just gonna buy these olive, uh, you know, there's a jar of olives day and night. You just you say, hey, Amazon, <laughs> let me show you how you're gonna lose money. Uh, they're still okay with it because uh, they make the margins in many other places. They sell, you know, billions of dollars, uh, billions of uh, products and, and uh, units in their in their platform, and they're making margins on them. That's one layer. Another layer is that they make a lot of money off the third-party sellers. Because when I sell a product, and I mean, I mean, I used to sell. I don't sell anymore. But let's say you, you start selling on Amazon. And uh, you, you want to sell the same jar of olives and let's say you want to sell it, uh, you know, uh, uh, for a hundred bucks. I'm just throwing you simple numbers. They're going to charge you 15% selling fee. So they're going to charge you $15 just for selling on their platform. Good chance you're going to pay them for marketing, which means uh, advertising. You're probably going to advertise your product on their platform. So, you know, consumers will click your, your listing and your product offering and they're going to go into it and hopefully convert it and hopefully buy the product. So you're going to pay them uh, advertising for that. So that can add a few dollars and that's pure gain, pure profit, because uh, when you pay to advertise products on Amazon, their platform, it's digital real estate. It doesn't really cost them anything extra. They already own, you know, the, the, the space people are the consumers are already there. So you know how you shop on Amazon? It says sponsor, sponsor, right? You notice yeah. that? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, that's that's a huge, that. huge moneymaker. It's like, hmm. you know, it's like they're built in uh, Times Square within the system and because your eyeballs, so many eyeballs are there. So they're selling that digital space, that digital uh, real estate, and it's a huge profit center for them. So they can yeah. take that profit center and all that juice that they make and really create offers within the marketplace that look unbelievable. Like, how are they making money? It could be that they're not making money in that case, but they have other uh, revenue generators other or profit centers. Up. Yeah, that's another layer. And then a third layer, is that they, there's many layers. I'm just giving you just the, 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 the scale of things, right? Another yeah, layer is their uh, Amazon Web Services, AWS. So Amazon is the large, I'm not sure if many of you guys know that, but Amazon is the largest cloud provider to the world, right? Most of the cloud, um, you know, the, 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 the backend computing and the computing power that's out there in the internet is, is provided by Amazon, their cloud services. Uh, the FBI uses it, the CAA uses it, Netflix uses it, uh, all these uh, big... Um, system that we take for granted are using Amazon's computing power because it's humongous. They created, by the way, this computing power for their marketplace so they can really contain all these products and listings and, and images and videos and all that stuff and all this data. But they did such a good job with it. They said, yeah, we have actually extra space here to, to, to uh, in the computing space to offer it out. So they, they started offering that out and that was pure juice, pure profit. Their margins are like, they're just printing money. So, and that is a huge profit center for them as well that allowed them, by the way, all these years to be able to take heavy losses on the retail side. On the retail side, many, you know, you know if you had to de really detach uh, Amazon's retail operations from the entire uh, ecosystem they have, there's a good chance they, they, they lost money over the years and will probably never make money. But the reason they're still in business is because they're able to they have all these layers of protection, let's call it, or profit protection or 
profit contribution that they're able to, to keep that and sustain that and create a benchmark in an environment where consumers expect, you know, uh, uh, how to, you know, that's kind of the, the barometer of how you shop and shop online, the customer service, the yeah. return policy. It's very, very convenient. And Amazon was able to provide there all these years and lose money um, because they're able to make money somewhere else. And that became the standard yeah. of shopping online, uh, which is very important, I think, because people trust shopping online right now. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. but 20 plus years when internet was just starting, like I'm going to buy something and provide a credit card. Who's on the other side? I have no idea, no trust. They broke that apart completely and created full trust in the system. And uh, they pushed us into the digital age where many entrepreneurs out there who can work anywhere in the world, they call them the digital nomads uh, and have an amazing lifestyle because of that trust system that they built, which they lost money on, but they're able to lose money on it because they had other layers of profit centers. So hopefully this kind of gives an, an, an idea of the economy of scale and how yeah. they're able to, uh, to, to do this. <laughs> No, that was, Yoni, that was like the best answer I could have expected in like four minutes. There was a lot in there. Um, and there's a lot that, that I kind of want to go back to as well. So it sounds like they might actually lose a little bit of money on that jar of olives, but they have other profit centers, whether it be Amazon web, web services, um, the sponsoring or that, that seller, you know, paying per click and things. Yeah, and as you were talking, yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of reminded me of like, the classic, you know, gym analogy of, yeah, they might charge $30 to go to the gym and one guy's there seven days a week, but then they have plenty of people that just go once a month and, you know, they're making plenty of money off of those folks. So with that said, one of the things you did mention though, was a service fee that they could recoup money on a, on a service fee. Is that something that every third party seller is subjected to, or how exactly does the service fee work? Got it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, they call it selling fees. So to sell on Amazon's platform and, and, and be engaged with your consumer and, and uh, for you to be able to sell on their platform, they're going to charge you a fee for that, right? They call it selling fee and it's split by categories. You have all these different categories. If you have electronics, it's typically 8%. So if you sell your products for uh, $10, 8% out of that will be 80 cents. We'll go to Amazon. They'll charge you that fee. And don't forget, they control everything. You log into the Amazon platform, you got an order, you got a sale. And somebody paid the consumer paid ten dollars. They're gonna deduct. They usually deduct the fees. And after all the fees are deducted, then they're gonna send. The, they're gonna wire the money to you, to your bank account. That's typically the name of the game and how it works. Uh, electronics is eight percent. You have uh, clothing. It's fifteen percent. There's all for these types of constructs. Uh, um, but this is not new. Not new at all. Uh, same thing goes with eBay. If you ever sold an eBay, anybody that's listening to this episode, uh, same thing. They have a selling fee. Uh, typically, eBay charges less. I think they started, uh, or they, I think it's 10% or something like that. It's typically uh, 3% uh, lower than Amazon. But nevertheless, even though Amazon's selling fees are a bit higher, uh, most entrepreneurs and online sellers find success on Amazon and they, uh, they just build a business around Amazon's ecosystem uh, instead of eBay uh, because they're able to keep more in their pocket. It's just so more, it's much more robust, and consumers are, are preferring to shop on Amazon set of eBay for a variety of reasons. And that's where the game is right now in terms of e-commerce. How, with that said, I mean, how is eBay still existing? Like I remember way back in the day, like if you wanted to sell some of your baseball cards, eBay was the spot, but the Amazon seems to have taken over the world yet. eBay is still there. Like what, do they just have a yeah. loyal following or do they have a new niche they've created? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a combination of things. Uh, one thing to consider is the kind of first to market advantage, uh, you know, that legacy. So people adopted it early on. They just got used to it. Uh, so they're, they're still around and, and they were kind of the first to go global. So there's a lot of global users for eBay, meaning people in the UK and Europe 
in the Middle East and places like that, they still shop on eBay, so they're able to make their um, their money that way. Um, and eBay, uh, 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 the contrast, the main contrast between eBay and Amazon is that eBay, if, just to make it simple, I don't want to insult eBay or anything like that, but eBay is more like a flea market. Anybody can, you have an old cane at home from, uh, you know, you, you list it on eBay and you realize it's actually a cane from uh, the, the British Empire's rule of uh, somewhere in Africa and this lord used it and it's actually worth, I don't know, a few thousand dollars, right? You can't sell that on Amazon. Nobody's going to buy it on Amazon. Nobody's going to expect to buy it on Amazon. It's going to be too awkward, right? But on eBay, it's not a problem. So in other words, you can sell antiques, you can sell awkward things uh, and it's okay. It's like a flea market, uh, but the digital age. So if I would compare it uh, into the physical world, eBay... Uh, it's like the flea markets that you still have everywhere around the world and it's totally legitimate, totally fine. And you can follow really co uh, cool things and, and there's a lot of room for creativity. Amazon is more like the mall, like the new age mall. You go to the mall, you're not going to find used products. You're not going to find all these uh, awkward things. You're going to find the, kind of the, the big brands out there, the American Eagle, the Gap, the Banana Republic, the J. Crew, all that kind of stuff. So that's the way kind of I see things. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that does, that does leave some space you could say for, uh, you know, for eBay to still exist. One thing that we had talked a little bit about, I want to go back to is on trust where so much right now is a skeptical consumer of, are they overpaying? Are they getting a quality good in-person brick and mortar or online? Some of the things you hear about Amazon, it's twofold that I've heard anecdotally, but a lot is Amazon basics. You know, are they just, they're essentially taking a common good like a uh, Ethernet cord or a new iPhone charger and making it the cheapest way possible. And then the other thing sometimes I've heard is from third-party sellers, like if you go to buy your pet food on Amazon, that you could be getting, you know, expired pet food. Yeah, it's the big brand name, but maybe it was expired three months ago. Can you speak to that? Are those just rumors and stories or those issues that people really do deal with? Yeah, let me kind of arrange uh, the good points, by the way. So let me kind of unpackage that as well. If, if, if uh, I'll try to do my best. So let's start with the Amazon basic component of things. So there's really no issue with Amazon basics in general, as a rule. It's just a kind of a line that Amazon has. And it typically t it takes these uh, products that are mostly commodities. They're commoditized batteries, uh, straws plastic cups, things that are, you know, you don't really necessarily look for the brand name. So it's, in other words, it can be generic. Same thing when you go to CVS, they have their own generic brand. And if you go to Walmart, all these mortar stores apply the same rule. They have all these products where you can integrate uh, generics. Actually in the pharmacy land or the pharmacy world, it's a bit more sophisticated because they actually have some medicine, which is generic medicine that they, you know, CVS, if you want to buy Tylenol, you can buy the CVS generic one, the Tylenol. I don't even know how they call it. But that's, that's very sophisticated. So they do that even on, on pharmaceutical products, which people, consumers trust. Say, hey, this is a Tylenol. It's a big brand. But this is CVS brand. But I trust CVS. So I bought that for a few dollars less. And I'll, I'm going to get my, uh, my headache uh, removed uh, uh, from a CVS product rather from the leading brand name. So that's kind of mm -hmm. the premise of Amazon Basics. And, and with, with, with this kind of merit, there's no issue. The problem is with Amazon Basic uh, in Congress, by the way, is that... Um, What's happening is that uh, the third-party Amazon sellers, in other words, the entrepreneurs are complaining to, to uh, or there's a concern uh, by the government and Congress that Amazon is using unfair advantages. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you the breakdown. So they're saying that Amazon is able to see all the data of these third-party Amazon brands, right? They, that they shine and perform really well on the platform. And because of that, the Amazon's like, mm, look at this product. It's selling hundreds of millions of dollars. 
And we really, we don't see it anywhere else. It's not a Walmart. It's not like a big brand or anything like that. It's, it's kind of a brand that uh, rose to the top uh, instead of Amazon. And they say, you know what? We see all the data and all the revenue. We're just going to, I don't really, I'm not saying that they did. I'm not accusing them, but I'm saying the, 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 the issue that Congress and, and, and the sellers have with them is that they're copying. They're copying their, these really unique, innovative products uh, because they have access to all the data. And all of a sudden, they're competing with the third-party Amazon seller. And it's it's uh, and, and you know they compete they can compete at a price. So if you're selling your product for forty dollars, they'll come in and sell for twenty dollars. And the only reason that they're selling it is because they saw how well you're performing on the platform because they had access to all the data, right? Yeah. Uh, and that is kind of the concern. The it's not competitive. It's it's a you know, issue as far as, as, as Congress is is, is considered. Uh, and, and he said you know when they really confronted him about it. Said, you know, we are aware there's, you know, there's some evidence, uh, you know, concerning evidence from people in your your team. Amazon's by, you know, a team, the retail team that they created all these products based on all the data that uh, that, that was available to them from these uh, third-party seller, uh, you know, revenue charts. So he said, I'm not aware. And if this if this was indeed the case, this is against our policy, meaning they don't encourage uh, copying, uh, you know, products of other consumers out there and creating this anti-competitive environment. Because don't forget, they it's a win-win for them. If you buy it from, um, okay, one second here. So yeah, so if they um, if they buy it from uh, the the third party seller, Amazon will make all its fees. But if they buy it from Amazon or Amazon Basics, they make the money. So it's a win win for them. But it's not necessarily a win win for the third party seller because if they eventually buy Amazon Basics, uh, the, the the seller is kind of in a, in a very bad spot. So that's a that's a concern with Amazon Basics. That was the first thing, kind of thing you touched. What was the second thing? I just want to make sure I, I cover that so- as well. Yeah, definitely. And that was a good explanation of Amazon basics. And I think that that's the narrative I've heard is that they're using a almost unfair competitive advantage, but then a byproduct of that is they're able to sell like a less quality product through Amazon basics, which may be true. It may not be. The other one I heard though, is that with the third party seller, so you could say, all right, I'm not buying Amazon dog food. I'm buying kibbles and bits. I know I'm, I'm going with a classic reputable brand, but am I getting kibbles and bits that was supposed to be on the shelves three months ago that perhaps has now expired? Um, those are some of the things I hear uh, from from buying the name brand on Amazon, but it might be an older and outdated product. Right. So the concern I would say is less on the Amazon side because uh, Amazon is really strict. You know, they have a really, they're strict on themselves as well. So if you buy from the the major brand that you mentioned or Amazon itself, usually you'll be okay on both of them. Usually, you want, the mistakes always happen. But yeah. the concern is actually from the, uh, on the flip side, from the third-party Amazon sellers. So Amazon has a lot to lose. So they're always going to keep themselves to high standards. But, you know, you're in a third-party Amazon seller and you have all this dog food that you want to sell on the platform. And you made a huge production. You didn't sell everything. You still have, I don't know, 30% of your inventory. It's already expired. But uh, you don't want to throw it away. So you're going to play games. And you're going to keep selling it. And that's when the consumers might have an issue. That's kind of usually what, what the, the issue is or the concern is uh, with uh, consumers, uh, I assume. So in that case, I, I, my, my, um, my opinion about it is that it's probably still okay because Amazon is very, very strict. Uh, uh, the reality is that um, Amazon is very strict with the third-party Amazon sellers because they have access to Amazon cost, uh, consumers and customers. Uh, and Amazon holds themselves even to high standards. They hold the same standards for the third-party sellers. So if there is any complaint complaint or a hint of a complaint from a consumer about any type of product that is sold by a third-party Amazon seller, Amazon really strikes down hard. They can come in and boom, suspend you right away. They knock you out of the game. 
They say we, uh, you know, a consumer bought this and they're saying it's expired and that's against our policy. You can't suspend it until further notice. Now, then they tell yeah. you, okay, if you want to, if you want to reinstate this uh, account and your business and uh, you know, put you back to life, give us a plan of action. Why did this happen? How did this happen? What can you do about it? Give us uh, the documentation. Give us invoices. You know, when did you create this? They're gonna really, it's like it's gonna be almost like a court judgment. Uh, they're the they're the judge. They're the lawyer. They're the everything. It's kind of a little awkward. They have a lot of power when it comes to that. But typically, what happens is the seller realized that they messed around. They played around with their policy and, and the guidelines, and they got knocked out. And then there's two options: either they get knocked out of the game completely because it's not for them, or they say, "No, I got it. I've sinned. Uh, you know, I'm mistaken, and uh, I'm going to change my game." And, uh, and and they usually do because if they don't, it's going to happen again. They're going to get striked out. It's not a sustainable business. Nobody can really survive with that environment. This is what's happening over the years uh, on Amazon's platform, which I do sincerely believe that it's becoming more and more of a quality uh, platform because of the, the the strict guidelines and rules and the standards that Amazon is holding towards the third-party Amazon sellers. Yeah, no, and that's you know comforting to hear because I think it um, it's nice to see that they really are policing that, but it's not like the wild, wild west of sellers. Big time. If there. anything, I would uh, humbly say that they're probably over-policing because you know, Amazon's rule, I always, I, you know, I, we, 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 we service uh, a large user base, thousands, thousands of sellers and entrepreneurs. And the reality is that um, Amazon's modern rule, I always tell it to the, to the sellers, the consumer is always right, even if they're clearly, clearly wrong. Doesn't matter. They're right. Bought a product, they completely botched it and stepped all over it and smashed it. And they returned it back to, and they returned it back to you said, I smashed it. I ruined it. Uh, uh, and I sent it back to the seller. And because of that, I don't like it. And they give you a one-star review, even though the product was perfect, whatever. But it is what it is. We have a one-star review, and Amazon's not going to move that. And that's the reality thing because they're right. This is what they experienced. That's what they did. And they're right. Even if they're, they're clearly wrong and they're admitting the writing, they're the king. And that is why mm -hmm. uh, consumers love Amazon because this is their ultimate a platform, for, a platform for them to consume. So, of course, for, of course they have all these um, weird, uh, the bad weeds, so to speak, uh, with these uh, wacky consumers. But... The overwhelming majority of consumers are fine. They buy the products. It's wholesome. They like it. They enjoy it. And they get what they need. Some of them are able to really play games. They can buy all this outerwear and beautiful uh, clothing and use it. And then uh, for a beautiful party, and it can be really expensive. And then they return it back and say, hey, it was damaged. It was really bad, bad quality. And, and you know, it was fake even. It gets you suspended, right? Um, just so they can get their refund back because, you know, they want to abuse the system. And Amazon's okay with it. It is what it is because on it's on the on the grand scale of things. It's super narrow. It's super on the sidelines. The overwhelming majority are, are doing the right thing, and that's kind of the fundamental. Yep, got it. Yeah, I guess they just go back to that bottom line, and and the good is outweighing the bad in that instance. And so there's there's a lot of questions I have here as kind of a follow up, Yoni. That uh, that as we're talking, I mean, there's so much to get into. Amazon really is an amazing company. But what I wanted to ask is you had something like eBay that was first to market. Then we have Amazon takes over the world. But then we have, you know, the monsters of the brick and mortar space, such as Walmart and then maybe Target that say, OK, we want to get into e-commerce. We want to try and do one day or two day delivery. We're not going to charge you. It could go to the store or we can send it right to your house. What type of impact is that having on this uh e-commerce economy like is it is it really impacting amazon's bottom line or have they just pushed right through it yeah so i would say at this point it's 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 not uh i think the trend overall is good it's good for amazon it's good for everybody because the more consumers are um tuned to, towards shopping online it's good for the e-commerce industry in general so there's more 
um, there's more uh, footstep or uh, there's more uh, feet in the in, in the digital space. I mean, there's more users, there's more shoppers uh, online, and they build up this whole environment. And uh, you know, maybe it's uh, Target that pulled them in or, or Walmart, but the good chance they'll find Amazon at some point, and vice versa. In other words, they uh, unwillingly they cross pollinate each other, and it's okay. But so the whole, it, it gives it brings a tide towards the whole environment, and it's overall it's good. Uh, I don't think it's affecting Amazon's bottom line yet. Because uh, Amazon has a huge moat, uh, I think. But within a decade or two, sh- things should start kind of balancing out. I think the the immediate suspect, in a good way, that will might give Amazon a run for its money for its money uh, would be Walmart. It's just a juggernaut on the, on the, on the physical uh, space of things, and it has some so so many resources they can apply to to kind of try to you know provide a a safe, uh, trusted platform for consumers out there online digitally. Um, and and they're doing it. They're they're getting more and more aggressive about it. They did. They also uh, opened up uh, what they call WFS Walmart Fulfillment Services, which is competing with Amazon's FBA Fulfillment by Amazon uh, services for third-party sellers. In other words, you can also send your product to uh, Walmart. They're going to store it, and as the orders come in, they'll fulfill it. Uh, they started in the past year or two. You know, it's compared to Amazon. It's really a drop. Uh, you know how they say drop in the bucket? It's it's a drop in the ocean. Uh, but still. Uh, uh, <laughs> There's a uh, uh, Walmart has a lot of uh, drops in its arsenal and and its um and its uh, back pocket, so it just will be uh, interesting to see it and to follow uh, this um, battle of the giants uh, in the coming years. Uh, yeah. But overall, I think it's good for both of them. You need a secondary thing. Same thing on the physical space. You have uh, Walmart, super powerful, and the second in command is Target, and they're both really successful for decades. And you know, there's room for for both. Yeah, and that might even take some pressure off of Amazon of being perceived as a monopoly in a sense. Um, 100%. So- By the way, I, I, I want to touch that. It's brilliant. What you just said is brilliant because uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Apple, uh, uh, the end of the 90s is really uh, crippling. It's really about to almost uh, run out of business. And, um, and what happened was, believe it or not, Microsoft came in uh, because they, they were having so much pressure from the government and they invested $100 million into Apple so they kind of uh, survive and and uh, get it together, and eventually they did, and and the rest is history. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, Microsoft needed that second command in, in, in the tech world, so they uh, they don't get broken apart. The government wanted to break apart Microsoft; they was super powerful. Um, so they even had the, the you know the, the interest of uh, their uh, foe, or you know, because Apple was kind of the only one out there trying to look like or appear as a competitor to Microsoft. Uh, that's what happened back in the day, and I think what you the same you made uh, that Amazon needs a secondary in command, so they're they relieves the pressure. I think it's absolutely correct. Yeah, definitely. And it, I, one of the things you mentioned too, I think a lot of people don't realize I didn't is that so Walmart actually is a, a third party seller now. Like you can do that through Walmart. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Walmart.com back in the day, same thing like Amazon, and they only sold their own products, right? Uh, but no, well, the same thing like Amazon, they opened that up and uh, yeah, you can start selling your products on Walmart. So once again, you want to touch Walmart consumers, you don't have to go through their uh, buyers, uh, the gatekeepers uh, back in the day. You just open an account with Walmart and you apply and you, they open that up for you. And then you're able to upload your products into their platform. Uh, you can pay for advertising, same thing that you do with um, uh, Amazon uh, to drive traffic and consumers towards your listing and your products and get their eyeballs and the exposure and convert them and make them shop. So it's an open game uh, also on the Walmart side. And guess what? I think that happened because of uh, you know, what happened, uh, the, the evolution between eBay coming in and then uh, Amazon coming in and, and they're making so much wealth and, and profit on the digital space with the use uh, and, and partnership of third-party sellers and entrepreneurs out there. So Walmart opened up to, up to that completely. So that's the name of the game right now. Hmm. 
And to move on a little bit, um, the, what we were talking a lot about, and a lot of what you do obviously deals with data. And people say, you know, data is the new currency. Like whoever holds the most amount of data, that that is like its own source of wealth in and of itself. Big so time. a couple of things there. We know Amazon, and you hear a lot about like Google as well, is just tracking things that you can't even begin to fathom. And then they're able to parlay that into some sort of specific knowledge. So how does your company distill that? Or how are you different in a sense that you're in between Amazon and your customer and you somehow make sense of Amazon's data? Is that is that kind of your role? Is that like the benefit to the to your customer? Yeah, it's uh, our position is uh, I'm mean, humble. You know, we help a lot of sales, but our position is um, in the scope of things. It's just a kind of a pinpoint that they have. And we create the solution over the years. Uh, because we experienced it ourselves uh, when we were sellers, Amazon sellers. We don't sell anymore. We just focused on helping sellers. But uh, I'll give you kind of the breakdown just to keep it uh, in context. So um, sellers, when you sell on Amazon, right, you open an Amazon account, there's many things you got to take care of, right? You got to take care of the sourcing. You got to source your inventory. You got to take care of logistics, you know, shipping in and out. Uh, there's bookkeeping, accounting, advertising, all these components. But within them, there's auditing. You got to kind of reconcile all the transactions that transpired on the platform. So once again, I'm giving you the original example. You ship your inventory to Amazon's fulfillment centers, and then you ship a thousand units. You only receive 190. You got to reconcile that. So it's one thing. It's another task or a thing you got to take care of, and you could. And we encourage the sellers to do the maximum they can do to reconcile as much as they can. But then they can also come to a solution provider like us, uh, Gatita. Uh, and we'll we'll take it off their hands. So this way they can you know they can uh, focus more on the things that moves the needle and creates the business, which is marketing and selling and stuff like that. And then our position is being more like archaeologists. We always look into the data and we dig into the past with our digital uh, brushes and with the, you know with all the rubble and the sand. And only if we pick out a golden nugget from the I don't know from the old ages, uh, we're able to provide value through through that digging. And um, and you know uh, the sellers get typically get uh, their the ability to sell their products. Uh, that we're missing or got you know uh, or not available and now they are so that's a, a value or if amazon financially uh, re, you know um, provides a financial recovery they get that finance that money and they're able to to get the, the solution that they need and use that money to keep investing in the business so that's kind of the world and position that we live in and it's all through data you know there's large large data systems and uh, we're able to brush through the data and it's all mathematics so we're our, our mission really to keep it really basic is to find a minus one with all the data and then present that minus one to uh, you know the other body, and then the other body needs to provide a you know a proper explanation, and if they don't, they just provide that plus one, and then everybody's whole, and then we move on. Got it, got it. And um, it, just to give us a little bit of background too, like you obviously didn't just start out of the blue with with uh, your company here. You said that you were operating a business previously, doing over twenty million dollars a year on Amazon. What exactly was that? Because I assume that's what triggered this whole idea of creating the current company. Correct. Yeah. So uh, one thing led to another. So here's the evolution of how Gatita came to be what it is today. So about a decade ago, we started selling online. And back in the day, our main platform was eBay, right? As we discussed, uh, even for us, it was kind of the entry gate. And then in 2013, we started selling on Amazon. And the business grew very, very quickly from zero to 20 million in annual sales. Then we also uh, became a part of a larger group. And together as a group, we're doing about 100 million in revenue. And it was mostly an FBA on Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon. We used Amazon fulfillment centers. So what happened was- And this was clothing products that you were were selling? 
Yeah, so we, you know, at the end of the, the day, we were like a mini department store. We started uh, back in the day, early on, we started with watches. Then we, um, uh, and, you know, uh, went into jewelry and then sunglasses and uh, uh, shoes and then just clothing. And it was just became like a mini department store. So it was, you know, it was huh. fashion, fashion, you know, fashion brands. And then we Got expanded it. globally. We went to uh, the UK and Europe. We started selling uh, you know, worldwide. It became a heavy duty operation. So on the FBA side or the fulfillment by Amazon side of things, um, all these transactions we had to reconcile, we couldn't do it anymore because our spreadsheets, right? The tools we were using were just breaking, was just too much data. So that pushed us to create software and technology for ourselves to be able to uh, audit and reconcile things on a, on, a, you know, on a large scale. And that was the first thing we did. And then the second thing that we did was we created a dedicated team to manage that data and, 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 and work with Amazon on reconciling all the back and forth elements of these issues. Uh, so we create the, you know, so we get a proper uh, resolution on it. So in other words, we created the solution for ourselves and that worked pretty well for us. And then what happened was we told our friends from the industry that we have these capabilities. So they told us, uh, help us, we'll pay you. And that was the early genesis and creation of Gatita back in 2015. Now, over the uh, years, you know, for like two, three years, it was growing, uh, growing organically from word of mouth. And the reason it was growing nicely is because uh, the way that we work is, uh, is really nice. It's really um, comfortable because it's performance-based only. In other words, it's free to join Gatita and it's free to stay with Gatita. We only charge a, a fee if we, uh, we get your recovery. So let's say, um, Brian, you know, you joined Gatita we, uh, we, and our technology is able to go back 18 months on all the transactions. And then we find $100 for you. So we get $100. And only if we got you that $100, we're going to charge you a fee, a 25% fee. So we're going to charge you $25. And then the next 30 days, we get you $0. You pay $0. So it's free to join and it's free to stay. It's purely performance-based. We call it PPR, paper recovery only. Uh, so that, that's why over the years, it's kind of growing uh, organically. And then we just made a strategic decision to cash out our, uh, of our uh, retail positions and then focus just on helping uh, you know, third-party Amazon sellers out there. And from the moment we did that, that's when we kind of took leadership on this uh, niche and space. Uh, and today we're auditing billions of dollars uh, of worth of transactions every single day. We have a team of 125 uh, members in six countries. And we're an authorized solution provider by Amazon, which means we have a commitment to the sellers, but of course also a commitment to Amazon to make sure that we're terms of service compliant, uh, data security, private policy, all these components. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the reality that we find ourselves today. And that's in a nutshell, the evolution of how we got here. That is pretty cool. And now the, the obvious question becomes, you said you're tracking billions of dollars of transactions daily. We talked a little bit about Amazon basics before. Is there a chance where Amazon will say, wow, you're providing a lot of benefit to these consumers. There's a lot of money to be had there. Can they ever take you guys over and try and replace the service that you provide? Oh, Amazon? Yeah, like is, yeah. So, so, so yeah, let that... me just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. So, let me give you some uh, perspective on this. So, um, Amazon as a system, as a platform, they automatically do provide uh, you know refunds and recoveries to sellers automatically. They need about mm -hmm. thirty days for that, so they have their own system doing it. And then, uh, but then, in their terms of service, they tell the sellers, "We're gonna give you everything that we can give you automatically within thirty days." But after thirty days, it's up to you, you the seller, to audit us and do your own reconciliation. And of course, and if, if you found a discrepancy, bring it to our attention, we'll take care of you. And that is where we come in as a solution. So this is just a fundamental uh, framework that they already created um, so that we come in and we assist. The premise is that uh, Amazon is already doing the most that it can to help the sellers. And then the sellers need to do the rest. So that's when we can come in as a solution and help. And uh, yes, they're just, uh, this is the reality from day one. 
And financially speaking only, I don't think they have any extra incentives to to invest a lot of money in their systems to make it a bit better so they can automatically give more financial you know, recoveries to the sellers out there. They kind of uh, you know, prefer ha- having the sellers do all the grunt work and all the footwork and all the mathematics and present it to them. And then they'll take care of them if, if it all makes sense. And Sam? Yeah, no, I understand. That's uh, that's good because it really does seem like you have a niche there that has a lot of scale, a lot of opportunity, but maybe not right in the wheelhouse that Amazon wants to take over like they do quite a bit of other areas. So this was good. It's funny. I mean, your PR person gave me some awesome questions relevant to today's economy, but I feel like I could just keep going on Amazon and really kind of pulling back that curtain there. But I do want to move on and look at some of the issues that we're facing right now. Um, The one that's front and center for everybody out there, consumer or business owner alike, is inflation. Inflation is running red hot right now. Um, and, and we're seeing a lot of things causing that, such, of course, as, you know, oil and gas prices going way up. What is what's causing inflation, in, in your opinion, and how is this affecting, you know, the business space that you're in? Right. So inflation is like a wild beast that once it's out of the case, it's really hard to contain it, to, to contain it and, and put it back where it is because it, it tends to scratch you and, and hit you. And fight with you until you're able to kind of uh, put a lid on it, but it's it's usually a struggle. And we haven't our generation; it's all totally new for us. I'm not a sage. I'm not a hundred years old. I'm 37, but I am I'm I'm, I'm a kind of a history freak. And but I never experienced inflation uh, in my lifetime. But as far as I'm aware, um, the same type of inflation happened. The, the last time it, it happened such a scale was uh, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, back mm-hmm. in the Reagan era. So and, and it was a real struggle for, for many consumers and companies to put a lid on it and and put it back in its cage and, and, and control it and have a steady uh, growth over the years with the, the, the inflation rate that the, the Federal Reserve usually typically wants. Uh, the range is uh, 1 to 3%, I believe, but now it's like 8%. So it's really out, uh, out of control. Uh, that's just high level on inflation and, and in its history. But uh, I think what caused it uh, originally was um, the pay- that was the you know what what happened with this pandemic it created a major pendulum swing on the global economy. One position, you take care of that, and boom, boom. So all these uh, shock effects are happening. Um, so the perfect stem was created uh, since COVID and uh, the and uh, the outbreak uh, to to put us in this position where uh, inflation is is just everywhere on a global level, not just in the, in the United States. So uh, if we, you know, the, 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 all, the, all those um, you know, economies that had to shut down and uh, you know, people and, and factories had to, to be shut down, created all these uh, shortages in supply, right? And then the ports had a real big issue of being able to um, you know, process all the, you know, all the imports and the exports. So there's a lot of slowdowns in, in, in inventory. And then consumers um, uh, still want to buy the same thing that they want to buy. So all of a sudden they have all these shortages. Yeah, you remember in the pandemic, the, the early sprouts of inflation was the toilet paper. Remember how toilet paper, you can buy a roll for like 10 bucks sure. because there's simply no toilet paper rolls like the new gold. <laughs> yeah. So that was the early indicator of uh, supply and demand issues uh, um, based on the panic and, and the, the challenges that uh, COVID created. So, you know, like the pendulum, it started with the toilet paper and then just regular paper products. And then at some point it was lumber. It was really hard to get lumber, so it was really hard to renovate and build houses. So a lot of houses and construction houses had to kind of be halted. And then uh, so the prices of houses uh, went up also because of this, not just because of that, but also in addition because 
Uh, people said, okay, we're going to be stuck at home until, you know, we, know we, didn't, we don't even know until when. So we want to have a larger home so we can do more things at home, right? We have a better time at home. So, and people are leaving, leaving uh, big cities. I know New York City in, in, the, in the peak of the crisis uh, dropped, the price dropped 20% across the board in, in New York City, which is crazy to think because it's such a strong uh, real estate market uh, traditionally for all these years. Uh, so 20 drop uh, percent in the kind of market is billions of dollars of, of value, you know, decimated. But all that value kind of uh, uh, ran away towards the suburbs. So all of a sudden, the, the suburbs and the housing there got a lift. You know, people from the bigger cities, the more wealthy people are able to go into the suburbs and pay more for all these houses. Doesn't, you know, cost doesn't matter. Oh, you want another 50,000, 100,000? There it is. Um, and all of a sudden, there's not enough houses in, in, in the suburbia land. So, um, you know, inflation, sure. you know, prices go even, even more up. Uh, and then you have uh, the, the microchips. You have, uh, you know, uh, you know the issue. Uh, microchips happen in a different perfect storm. You had in, you know, Taiwan makes most of the microchips. Of course, they had all these supply chain issues because of, uh, you know, Corona and the materials that they need to to, to have to, to, you know, to, to be able to create microchips. But also they had a real big drought of water. You know, it takes a lot of water to create uh, microchips and they had a big uh, drought in the country. So a lot of shortages of microchips, which affected electronics and and guess what people need electronics more than ever because they need their laptops to be at home and go on zoom and continue their work and their studies so it's a major rift a major pressure uh, uh, on that and then it also trickled into uh the car uh, you know uh, industry sure. uh, you know cars were not able to uh, you know they everything's finished in the car all they need is that little chip and they can't so they, <laughs> they had to start, start shred- yeah they can't get it they can't sell the car so that to start shredding cars uh, so you know the pendulum swings on and up and all you know on all around, and these are like all the shocks that's happening into the system. It's happening from many directions. It's too complex to to kind of to really try to break down on a grid. Sure. But I hope a few of the examples you know give the right context. And um, yeah, and now the the Fed has to really step in. And the major tool that they have for that is um, you know r- raising the interest rate um, you know mm-hmm. to to higher levels. So you know money is more expensive. And that cools off the economy, cools off the appetite of people to buy. And hopefully that will cool off the prices and will cool off the inflation. That's an artificial way to cool off everything, but it has its own issues. Then you're risking slowing down the economy to such a degree where we'll go to a recession, people will lose their jobs, the job market. One thing that's terrible is you got to create this um, padding and soft landing so things don't really crash and become into uh, you know, a depression. Yep. No, and I think that was uh, it, it was a good quick summary. And I, I'm sure most folks out there are already well acquainted with inflation and what's happening as we sit here in June, you know, of 2022. But with that said, I mean, we're, we're heading into the summer. Um, then we got the fall coming up. I mean, what do you see perhaps for the remainder of the year? As like you alluded to, interest rates are going up as the Fed wants them to. It'll naturally slow some of the demand, slow some of the economy, so that hopefully it kind of comes down to what the economy can supply, um, you know, so that we can kind of find that equilibrium. Do you think that that's doable by this year? Or do you think that we're going to go into 2023 still paying a lot? And and, uh, I mean, which at that point, I mean, you probably would be talking about a recession. Yeah, so uh, right now we're more than two years into this uh, global pandemic crisis, and we're still, you know, um, experimenting, uh, you know, experiencing the aftermath. So I think it's it's gonna still, uh, you know, drive into uh, 2023 and next year. Uh, it's all this cool off and and and, and aftershock waves that we're gonna have to um, acclimate ourselves into. So I, I do humbly think that it's gonna continue well into 2023, uh, all in. Uh, you know, it should. I think five years will be a good time frame to 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 kind of guess that 
you know, this, since the pandemic started and uh, it will take five years to kind of be able to align everything together. Because I want to remind you, China had its own, it is still right now, as we speak, there's still major lockdowns in China and that's a major supplier to the world, you know, global economy sure. in terms of uh, manufacturing. So it's still kind of around. We, we you know, here in the United States, we, we feel maybe uh, socially that um, uh, things are back and all opened up. But on the global, global uh, supply chain level, there's still challenges that need to be solved. And I think that's going to dive into 2023. But all in, hopefully, if there are the, the, the this is more on the medical side of things, if the majority of the um, infected or having vaccine, that's how you uh, contract it uh, with, um, with quotation mark uh, uh, through, uh, you know, um, you know, through uh, medical care or, you know, vac- vaccinating, right? Because they give you a, they give you kind of the, the body gives, you know, you give the body a little bit of taste of what the real thing was supposed to be and it creates the antibodies. So if mm-hmm. 70% plus of the world uh, kind of is able to, to uh, have their immune system uh, ready for, you know, you know, immune to it, uh, then uh, on a global scale, you know, all these economies and societies were able to kind of come back to normal and with less and less disruptions, uh, you know, with all these industries and then kind of start uh, really uh, coming closer to the, the stage of equilibrium of in time global supply chain as it used to be uh, before the pandemic. Hit. Got it. Got it. So this was all very, very interesting, Yoni. I know you're, you're pressed for time. You're a busy guy. Anything that that we didn't touch on that you think people should know about, whether it be Amazon and the buying and selling that goes on there, or kind of how we're navigating the current environment with both inflation and supply shortages. Um, but it seems like people still want things. There's still demand there, um, even if if we haven't felt the full breath of the interest rate hikes quite yet. Right. So yeah, I mean. We're in the United States. It's it's a consumer-based economy. We just love things. We love new things. We like innovation. And that spirit should continue. will continue even if things slow down, even if you go to a recession. I'll just remind you that the, you know, we had a major recession back in 2008. And we had a, an amazing boom, uh, you know, from 2008 all the way to 2020 until the pandemic hit. We had 12 to, you know, about 12 years of uh of a nice run, uh, and and with economy things it comes in cycle, so it's okay to have this down cycle. It it, it is what it is. It's the name of the game, so everybody can buckle up a little bit. You know, eat a little bit of a humble pie, still shop, but not as luxuriously or privy, you know privilegedly as uh, um, we used to. And so that's okay uh, until kind of things balance. We get more confidence, and then we can go you know become a bit more bullish on that larger house or nicer car or latest gadget or a bigger TV. It's okay. That's that's the spirit of things. But uh, when things are uncertain in the economy and there's a little bit of fear, it's okay. You buckle up and you stay humble. Uh, that's on the consumer, consuming, uh, you know, or consumer side of things. But I want to flip it on towards the 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 opportunity side of things in terms of entrepreneurship and 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 and, and, and income. I think that uh, the digital age and the advent of uh, uh, internet and and having all these platforms, uh, you know, uh, available for for people to be able to to make money, I think that's amazing. It creates lots of opportunities to make money and 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 wealth uh, for people, but also do it in a way where you can balance your life in in a way where uh, it's it's going to be a good life. It's going to be real well balanced. You don't have to go to that big city corporate structure uh, rat race that uh, most of us uh, are familiar with. Uh, you know, over the past decades. Because today you can really run your empire remotely. A lot of big, big companies are, you know, okay with you know hiring and and, and, and employing people remotely, and you have a really good, even corporate job, 
just so you can work anywhere in the world. So instead of uh, living in New York City where it's really, really expensive, you go live in Idaho on a nice farm, you have a nice balanced life and make the same income. Think yep. about that. What's the, how much opportunity that, that provides? Or oh, you can live almost anywhere in the world. So that's very exciting. And I think that will open up a new horizon for, for people to have a good balanced life. Um, you have, of course, you have all the gig economy. You can just take your car or do an Uber. Or if you have an apartment somewhere, you, you, know, you rent it out at Airbnb. Uh, there's all these new ways to make money that were simply not available before. So uh, we should embrace that. You know, uh, the, the new generation should embrace that. Experiment with that. Take take the risk with that, and 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 discover new markets and new things that they can do, or innovative things they can do to to have a, a you know a business or, or an income. Uh, I think that's exciting, and that is kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. I know there's turbulence, but um, I'm usually very op- optimistic. So uh, good things will will uh, transpire. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Yoni. It's uh, there's some fear and there's some headlines out there that you see on the news that can be a little worrisome, but. I don't think there's been a better time in history where thanks to technology and other advances, we've had more tools at our disposal and the environment prepared for us where, you know, we can adapt quickly and find that balance that you spoke about. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Yoni. Uh, again, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Today, we had the chance to speak with Yoni Mazur, the co-founder of Gatita. Definitely go check out his company. You can find them on the internet. Really impressive stuff, cutting edge that they're working on. And keep on tuning in. Leave us a review wherever you're listening. And we will see you next time. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.